Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at anchor.fm slash allingospel or visit the allingospel.com website. So we open our Bibles to Leviticus 5. We're going to get into a little bit of Leviticus 6 tonight. And we will touch on, we're going to continue off where we kind of left off with chapter 4. Chapter 4 was about the types of people that need to give a sin offering, and it was categorized by type of person. Chapter 5, it's going to start off here in in verse 1 with the types of sin that would constitute a sin offering. And they're kind of all over, and as we go further into the Bible, they even add different types of sin that are also going to get put into this category. But God seems to go a step further here. And with all of these, kind of the common thread is he's asking for us to have life with intention, to take care with how we live, not to be careless. So we'll start off in verse 1. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he's seen or known of the matter and he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, which is a carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of unclean livestock or the carcass of an unclean creeping things, and he's unaware of it, he shall also be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he's unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips, or to do evil or to do good, Whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, that he shall be guilty in any of those matters. So in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, we see the word unaware um, four times. There are times in our life, and this isn't clearly isn't about our salvation. That was the burnt offering. Uh, This is about forgiveness for things when when we... are unaware when we mess up or when we screw up or when we are foolish or careless with how we cover ourselves. Verse 4, they use the word thoughtlessly there, which in the Hebrew is to babble, even to be angry, to say something in anger. Um, So this kind of seems like kind of odd little particular things that we can do wrong. Some would say this seems really legalistic, but in essence they're saying you need to, even if you do something and you're unaware of it when you do it, When you become aware of your sin, you're supposed to make amends, confess it, and give a sin offering. So, And and uh, the other part is we've moved on to with sin offerings and trespass offerings. These aren't voluntary offerings. Uh, These are things you have to do to continue a right relationship with God, whereby the first three offerings, chapters 1, 2, and 3, those were all voluntary offerings. You don't have to be in a relationship with God. But if you want to be in a relationship with God, you find out you've done something wrong, you need to make it right. Um, and really, that applies to everyone. Psalms 53.3, Romans 3.12, every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is no one that does good, no, not one. So in verse 1, we see um, the elevation of truth. If a person sins and hearing other, if you're a witness, or if, if you even have seen or known of a matter that's untrue, Uh, you have an obligation to make sure you step forward and tell the truth. Imagine what this would do nationally 
um, across all economic levels. And, and note the number of people that have careers because we want to have fair dealings with other people because we are worried about getting ripped off or we want falsehoods. This would devastate large numbers of professions that we have in our economy. Really, if, if people are responsible for telling the truth, you really don't need courts. Uh, you really don't need a police force necessarily. Um, you don't really need um, lawyers um, and you don't really need real estate agents because people just speak truthfully about what they know and what they don't know. Um, God's expecting his people, now that they're in a relationship with him, to be decent people. And even when they say something or someone else says something and they become aware of it, that awareness of something that's gone wrong, there's a public national responsibility for each person to make things right. Um, verse 2 I'm going to get into later because there's a lots in Leviticus that deals with this idea of uncleanness things that we touch or things that we encounter that are unclean. Largely, these are medical properties, um, and we'll get into that when we kind of hit those more in detail later on. Uh, verse 3 talks about speaking thoughtlessly. That's an interesting passage, and I've already talked about the, the idea of just babbling, uh, saying things without intention, saying things without care, uh, to make a promise and then not keep it. Even when you do it for good intent, notice there that that thoughtlessly has to do with just a wandering tongue or speaking before you think. God wants his people to have intention and care with their words. Sometimes we say things, we're right in the middle of saying it, and we're like, why am I even saying this? And we can't stop ourselves. We do it without thought. Our tongue wanders. But God places a great value on his word. His word, Jesus' word, our words, should represent or reflect the kind of value that God puts on the word. Um, in the beginning was the word. It's where it starts. God's words are flawless, every one of them. He models it in the Bible and in Christ Jesus in action. Every single word has a place. It's intentional. It's thoughtful. The words then build the realities. The words that come out of our mouth can either be a sword, Proverbs 12, 8, or they can be the tongue of the wise that promotes health. So the words that come out of our mouth actually create and build spiritual realities a lot like bricks make physical realities. Words define our culture, our family, our honor, our hope, almost all the virtues, integrity, um, truthfulness, all of those things are built based on the words that we use. So thoughtful words, not thoughtless words. Aware of what we're saying, not unaware of what we're saying. Intentional actions, not ignorant. I want to pick up on this idea of even or to do good that's right in this passage. Where it says you can have false words or you can have those kinds of things and that falseness is bad even when it's meant for good. Like a white lie when you're trying to avoid somebody's uh, having bad feelings about something, right? When you make a New Year's resolution, even when it's a good one, I want to study the Bible every day. When you make that promise, but then you skip your first day, you're guilty. And that guilt is something that has to be dealt with. And we could, you know, rationalize it away and say that's a pretty high standard and we don't want to do that, but our standard isn't compared to other people. Our standard's compared to Jesus and how he did things. So, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, Matthew 5.37. For whatever is more than those is from the evil one. 
When we say things, when we puff up, when we exaggerate, when we try to impress people, when we try to cover up a mistake we made at work, no matter how much good we think we're trying to do, we're putting lies out into the reality of the world. We should speak simply and clearly, not worrying about what other people think, and taking care of the reputation that God has given us as a, a child of God. And we need to think in terms of what God thinks of us when we say things. So even if we hurt people's feelings, even if we do that, that's obviously not the intention, but you, the goal is to speak truthfully and to do it directly. Um, and how people react to those things is really their business. Frankly, speaking truthfully can get you in a lot of trouble with some people because they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear those kinds of things. They want you to just act a certain way and say a certain thing, and everybody's happy-go-lucky, and we all march forward in that attitude. But then deep sins continue to fester in that environment. Verse 5. And it shall be when he's guilty in any of these matters. So when you're guilty, here's what you do. That he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing, and he shall bring his to the Lord. For his sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the trespass offering, goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning sin. Concerning sin. Here's the good news. When you're guilty of these, because we all are, you confess it. Confessing, by the way, is to bring truthful words into the environment where there were thoughtless words. To bring thoughtful confession when you had thoughtless um, falsehoods going out there. It's a nice balance. It's just and it's fair, but also to bring something to the Lord. And I think that's to remind us that this is valuable what we've done and we need to give something of value to account for that. It's tricky to see the difference because guilt gets used interchangeably between the sin offering and the trespass offering. Sin is about the person. And in the last chapter, they didn't mention any particular acts. Uh, the person is a sinner. You are a sinner. Your thoughts make you a sinner. And it seems that the Bible distinguishes between the sin, who you are, and a trespass, what you do, an act that was committed. And we're not talking about willful, defiant, in-your-face blasphemy acts. Those things are punishable by death. We're talking about trespasses, wanderings, backslidings, mistakes, where your heart really is one that wants to serve the Lord, but you still sin, and you still see yourself doing it while you're doing it even, and you want to make that right. You don't get to choose whether or not you're a sinner. You are a sinner. But you can choose to not trespass. And much of the New Testament, the book of James, the book of Peter, is encouraging people to move past just not sinning or not trespassing and to get to the point where they're actually doing good things. They're replacing their thoughtless things with thoughtful things. In this passage, in verse 5, when he is guilty, the guilty there is a sham. It gets used two times, which is kind of interesting. There's only a one jot difference between the two. One, the first one, a sham, a sham. The first a sham is to become guilt, to actually tr be transformed or in the process of transforming into guilt itself. The second tasham, translated, has to do with being guilt in the present tense. So you both become guilt and you are guilt. Interestingly enough, later in the ver in the, at the end of verse 6 there, it says make atonement. That's actually two words doubled up again too, kafar, kafar. 
And it's the same thing. The first one's a noun, and the and the, the the second the first one's a verb, and the second one's a noun. The first one is to become something, and the second one is to be something. So again, the proper balance to to thoughtless words is thoughtful confession. The proper balance to becoming and being guilt is to become and be atoned for at the same time. In fact, what's interesting on these verses is that we see that the words get repeated again and again and again, and those aren't the only ones. It's almost like the Bible is begging us to memorize these particular passages. So foolish, thoughtless, unintended, words that need to be amended, you confess them. God wants you to sort them out and do that process of sorting like we talked about in the last chapter. Take from your innermost parts and start separating those lies from the truths. And keep the lies and keep the good stuff because that's what brings peace with God, the third sacrifice. When you're dealing with your sin, that's the stuff that gets thrown outside the city, tossed away. You want nothing to do with sin. Get rid of it. So that when God looks at you, he sees that the, the, the sin is as far as the east is from the west, right? And you can't really do that without God's help. Getting rid of sin is something that God has to do with you and build with you, right? So there are some options here. Verse 7, if you're not able to bring a lamb, and by the way, in the New Testament season, we can all bring a lamb because Jesus is called the Lamb of God. So the lamb is the, the version of this that we in the new covenant all bring to the altar is that Jesus has become and is our sin on our behalf. And he then takes the punishment for our sin and steps in and accepts that punishment for us on our behalf. What an act of love. So we all get to bring a lamb. And that's why Jesus is called the lamb of God. He's called that over and over and over again. He's even called the lamb of God in the Old Testament. In fact, the same word of asham, that guilt of the sin and trespass offerings, the same word that Isaiah uses in Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're all guilty. We've all wandered. Sham. We've turned everyone in his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, that guilt. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth, for he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. Going down to Isaiah verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Sin offering. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. See, when we sin thoughtlessly, God knows we're human. And he can take that, and it isn't that our entire walk with Christ is wasted when we sin. When we confess our sin and we make sacrifice for our sin, the sacrifice of Jesus, it's atoned for and it's done, and we move forward and not do it, our lives are still very redeemable at that point. Same with trespasses. If we make restitution and make those right, as we'll see later on, our lives are redeemable. And that's why John, when he saw Jesus coming, said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. The sin is taken away. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 8. 
and he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first and wring off its head from its neck and shall not divide it completely. Shall then sprinkle some of the blood, sprinkle some of the blood on the, of the sin offering on the side of the altar. The rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It's a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he's committed and shall be forgiven him. First of all, we're going to talk next week about how some of these offerings are given together. A burnt offering in verse 10 is given with a sin offering uh, in verse 9 here, and we see that they're combined. And we'll talk a little bit about those combinations next week. Here's a couple truths to just take away from these two verses. First truth is God sees your sin. You can't hide your sin. And notice that some of these things, like in verse 1, if you see somebody say something that's not truth, you have a responsibility to do it. You could not step forward and no one would know that you know the difference, right? It's a sin that can be hidden. You can actually accidentally touch a corpse on the side of the road and not realize you'd done it until you did it and just keep it to yourself and not bother with cleansing. Sin can be hidden, especially the sin of our heart. We can hide it in our hearts and no human is going to know that we've done it. But the first truth here is God knows what you've done. Even if you can hide it, even if you can get away with it. I think every now and then you hear of stories of people that get saved and they had done something horrible in their past and the guilt just kind of sits upon them. They have become guilt and they are guilt. And it starts to eat away at them because of something they did before they came to salvation. And a lot of times what those folks have to do to deal with it is walk down to the police department, walk into the door and say, hey, I want to confess a murder I committed 10 years ago. And of course, police officers don't know what to do with that, but then you give the glory to God. God told me I need to come in and confess. I'm here to confess. And then at times they can have to then pay the penance for that, pay the, the, the what they're responsible to pay according to that government. So they make restitution. They go to jail and they start their first prison ministry. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what the, the good news of the gospel. If we say we've not sinned, we say we're walking and we're doing great, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. His word is truth and it doesn't abide with lies. So when we say, oh, we're walking with God, we're doing great, everything's great, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Well, I want God's word to be in me. I want to bury it in me. I want to eat God's word, right? And I want to take it in. I want to be separated from my sin, Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And I want to be brought close to Jesus, Romans 8.38. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today, not our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That's the whole point of this sacrifice. We don't want to draw close and keep our sin and our, our hidden secrets to ourselves and keep those things so that they eat us from the inside, they destroy us. We want to take our sins and our trespasses and get them as far away from ourselves as possible. But that's the only way to live. Otherwise, you're just a walking dead person, right? So confess your sins and then separate the sin from your life. Jesus has already given the sacrifice. You simply bring that and, and accept that he's taken that guilt for us. And you walk forward in truth. What if you don't have a lamb? 
Verse 11, here's some more options for you. If you're not able to bring two, dirtle, two, two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree or a, two young pigeons, then he who sins shall bring his, for his offering one-tenth of an ephath of fine flour as a sin offering. She'll put no oil on it, nor, nor shall he put frankincense on it. We're not going to dress this stuff up. It's sin, and that's the reason they give, for it's a sin offering. Nothing to be fancy about here. You bring it to a priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion, burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It's a sin offering. So why does the priest take a portion here? He takes a portion because this act of confession is holy. There's something redeemable and good about this. If we all fall short of, of, of the glory of God, if we all wander and go astray and trespass, it's our confession that's the godly act that redeems that. It's not living in it or being with it or accepting it or justifying it or pridefully saying it's not a big deal. You just confess it, and there's something extremely beautiful about that. That's a blessing to the church. That's what you bring to the priest. And there's a portion of that that, that a broken person confessing their sin and making it right. Now, I'm not advocating for confession, though this is where that comes from in, say, the Catholic tradition. Because we can confess things to God, and it's very clear in the New Testament that Jesus becomes our mediator. We pray and we confess things to Jesus. But on the other hand, there's nothing wrong with having a brother or sister in the faith, faith that you can trust, that you can confess things to, to just get them out of your system, make them known, and then separate them from your life. Get rid of them. Repeating this idea of sacrifice in these verses, but it's not exclusive to this. The forgiveness is what this is all about, right? The forgiveness is what we're trying to do. The priest makes atonement for him for his sin that he has committed, verse 13, in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priest as a grain offering. Repeats this idea over and over and over again. Now we get into offerings that have restitutions with them. Note again that what we just went through and they have different versions. You can give grain, turtle doves, pigeons, goats. It doesn't matter what you bring to the Lord. That's not the decisive part here. The consistent part through the beginning of this chapter is the confession of sin. Confess it. Get it out of your life. It's not what you bring. It's not who brings it. That was the last chapter. It's just a reality that we all have that even after we're saved or brought into the kingdom of God, even though we're atoned for, burnt sacrifice, we still sin. We still screw up, we still wander, and we still stray. So these next ones are trespass offerings. I'm going to read in verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Then, being a new section, the Lord is still talking to Moses, giving him the rules of the game. Verse 15, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, and I think the holy things of the Lord are the law that we've just heard through the end of Exodus and the beginning of Leviticus here, that... You're sinning in regard to those things the Lord has said not to do. Then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. So you commit a trespass. This is the first time we see this in the Bible. It's first use. Again, here we see this uh, this almost musical pattern where we see the same word used multiple times. It's ma'al, ma'al. Um, the first one, again, is a verb. It's the action of committing something. 
And then the second time it's used, ma'al, it's the noun, the trespass. And it, and it translates in English as commits a trespass, but in the Hebrew it's just ma'al, ma'al. And it, we see this happen multiple times. And, and, and there's almost a musical quality to it. In fact, in verse 15, if you read it in the Hebrew, there are six combinations of repeated words. Acts unfaithfully, holy things, guilt offering, without defect. And then this is only two words, by shekels in terms of shekels. And then guilt offering, all used using the same word twice in a row. Verse 16, if you keep reading, does it five times. So... It's almost like these particular passages were written in such a way that elementary age kids could memorize them. These are so important. And, and, you know, and this is kind of tells us something about the faith. It's really easy in the book of Genesis to remember stories. But these concepts about sin and life and restitution and trespass and, and, and confession... These are concepts that we really want to make them easy to memorize for kids. Well, you put it into a kind of poem and, and into a, almost a sing-songy verse kind of setting, almost like this was a song that was sung, right? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, and then people start singing these songs. Interesting that this was meant for memorization. For us, that means, verses 15, 16, we should know this. We should bury this in our heart. If a person commits a trespasses and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. Trespass is treachery, falseness, breaking something falsely. In Joshua, that same word is used for idol worship, to, to worship falsely. In 1 Chronicles 9.11, this falseness is the cause for Babylon, for the whole nation of Israel to get hauled off to Babylon in captivity. Tre the trespass is to do something against the Lord's truth. We're a sin, we commit a trespass. It's what we've done. Verse 16 which goes with 15, if you commit a trespass in verse 16, you shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering and it shall be forgiven him. And again, good news, if you do something treacherous or false against another person, you break faith with another person, it's serious business. But the point here is shalom. Notice the constitution here is not as important as the restitution, right? Make it right. So you don't have to go around telling everybody that you hurt someone's property or you broke something of someone else's. What you do is you, you replace it and then you add a fifth. So there's a cost here to doing something that hurts other people. Again, the central point here is that Jesus wants us to be thinking and doing things differently, but both have to get addressed right? We have to deal with our actions as much as we deal with our thoughts. Now, what had happened over time then is there's a whole pharisaical movement that's running around the country, not wanting to be taken away in captivity to Babylon again. And they're going around like the thought police, making sure that nobody does anything outside of the law. And they would cut, you know, say, Hey, you're eating with sinners and you shouldn't be doing that. You're unclean. And they come to Jesus again and again and again with these problems that they're seeing him do things that they deem as unholy. Problem is, the, the, the holy thing is in regard to the Lord and what the Lord wants to do. It's not for humans to determine what that is. 
Again, this is the tough part of these sacrifices. Once the burnt sacrifice is done and you're part of the kingdom of God, you're atoned for, your relationship with God is your responsibility. These things that you've done that you think might be secret, it's between you and God. It's not between you and some Pharisee or you and some priest or you and some pastor. It's between you and God. Both your thoughts and actions matter, and Jesus makes this point very carefully in Matthew 5, 21. You heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. That's true. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Notice that the infractions get less and less and the consequences get larger and larger. Jesus is saying, no, wait, your actions are, yes, those are important. Verse Matthew 5, verse 21. But your thoughts matter too. When you start to say that someone else is a fool, you're essentially dissembling them and considering them less important and less valuable than yourself. That their will, that their word is less important than your will in your word. That's thoughtless. That's a trespass. You're putting your will in front of or above someone else's will. That's a trespass. And you're in danger of hellfire when you do that. You are becoming guilty and you are guilty when you do those things. What's Jesus say that you should do? Very next verse. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go away. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If you don't have shalom with any other human being walking this earth, that's of the enemy. If you have something where you're harboring hatred or bitterness or hate towards anyone walking on this earth, then you're in judgment over them. Fix it. Leave the altar. What's more important than what you give or who the person is, what's more important than that is that you do this. You confess your sins. You make restitution for your trespasses. And you make it right. Now that said, Jesus is teaching here that that restitution is more important than any kind of offering we give. The offerings are just symbols and images of what Christ is going to do for us spiritually. They're a mirror or a reflection of the, re the spiritual reality that Jesus becomes our offering for these things. It's important to know, too, that sometimes when we make things right with people or we do right with people, they don't accept that or they don't have time to forgive us. And it's evil when they do that. This idea that you can forgive when you're ready is something that's going through the church right now and that you can harbor this hatred and forgive. No, you can't. When you become aware of a bitter heart, you're supposed to get rid of it now. You don't harbor these things because God knows the spiritual truth that the enemy works himself into people's lives through hurt relationships, hard relationships, emotionally draining bitterness and hate and a lack of forgiveness. Those things become disastrous in a spiritual person's life. You can't keep those things. Those things are forbidden and they're not for you to have because it's God's job to judge, not yours. So when you seize people that are harboring those kinds of things, be wary because the enemy's got a hold on their life, right? Verse 17, back in Leviticus, if a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. 
And you shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish of flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and didn't know it. Shall be forgiven him. When we make things right with God, notice the refrain here that it shall be forgiven him. That we can do these things and we, when we become aware of them or when we, that conviction hits us, the Holy Spirit convicts us, we are forgiven when we bring, confess those things and make those restitutions. Verse 19, it's a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. When we harbor hate towards other people, when we hurt other people, when we damage their property, when we do any, anything to other people that isn't what God wants us to do, we actually are trespassing against the Lord, not the other person. That's why forgiveness is such a powerful thing. When we forgive others, we trust that the Lord will bring justice where justice is needed. We're putting our trust in the Lord when we forgive other people. And that can be hard when the severity of the infraction is larger, right? So when people hurt us and do damage to us, um, we haven't trespassed against them. They've trespassed against us. It's hard to forgive, but it's also for not for us to judge. It's not for us to harbor that because we need to trust in the Lord that he will renew our strength, he will make things right no matter how hurtful the trespass was because he's doing a work in our life as much as he's doing a work in everybody else's. Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. The world is full of sin and it's impossible to walk through this world and not encounter sin and not to be the sinner that adds to that. But when we come into a relationship with the Lord God Almighty, we are to be more like God. We are to add shalom, we're to add truth, we're to add peace everywhere we go. Not to fight fights with people, but to make peace with people. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, this is interesting because we're talking about people that are trying to be in a relationship with God. Numbers 15, 32, you got this guy going around on the Sabbath picking up sticks. The consequence of willful, intentional, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to obey God's law. God may wait on the consequence, but the consequence is death. And for this guy that gets found picking up these sticks on the Sabbath, defiantly disregarding what God's law is for the nation of Israel, Moses makes an example of him, and the death doesn't wait until the end of his life. The death comes right now. And that seems really harsh, but there, it's setting, setting up an image for us that the the image here is that willful sin against God is, is worthy of death, right? Thoughtless sin against God is worthy of confession, restitution, sacrifice, fix it and make it right. God can forgive things. And God knows the difference between a person who's willfully defying God's law and a person who's really trying to follow God's law but screws up. God knows the difference between willful sin and thoughtless sin. And God's the only one that can judge those things. So when somebody says something that hurts you, you don't know if it was intentional or not. You don't know if they, it was just an angry word. You don't know if it was just babbling that came out of their mouth. Let God sort that out in their life. For our part, we need to make peace as much as we can. Right? God knows what's going on. Notice in these verses that the act itself isn't necessarily known. It just says if a person sins. That's because it's not obligating the person to explain everything to the priest. In fact, I think sometimes in the church we see this. We see people that want to talk all about their sin 
And that's, you know, at some point that's, you know, you got to deal with it, talk to a brother or sister. But when they keep doing it over and over and over again, it's like they want people to think what a wonderful person they are because they've repented from such large sins. But here there's no need to necessarily outline all the details of the, the nitty gritty details of sin. It's not a Catholic confession. Uh, it doesn't look like that at all. Um, that God and you have a relationship that needs to be maintained and sustained, and the priest helps facilitate that. At the end of the day, in the New Covenant, Jesus is the offering for our sins. I've said that a couple times, but let me read where it says it. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through one. He's talking about Adam. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness will reign th in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteousness, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. We're justified. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience will many be made righteous. Boy, I want to be one of those people where Jesus has made me righteous. 1 John 2.2, 2, And he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, the atonement. And not for ours only, but also the whole world. Jesus then is pictured as dealing with salvation as our burnt offering, dealing with sin and who we are and transforming who we are by the renewing of the mind. And he's our trespass offering. He actually deals with and forgives and makes us righteous despite the horrible things we've done. And we then are promised that we'll be dressed in the white robes of the righteous. What makes a difference here is your heart. Are you doing that heart work where you sort out the bad from the good in your life? And it's interesting to see how those things get handled. When we are righteously doing things and we get rid of the sin from our life, what's left is a beautiful gift to the congregation in a peace offering. When we're starting, sorting out the wrong for the right and what's left is sin, it gets cast out of the city like a sin offering as far away from, the, from the, the temple as you can get it. The good stuff goes to the kingdom. The bad stuff, we got to get it out of our life. And the only person who can do that kind of heart work is, the, is you and Jesus. In fact, a lot of times when sin seems to have a grip on us, the Bible says we return to our sin like a dog to its vomit and you're wrestling with sin year after year, day after day, the only way that I've ever been, really been able to get that sin out of my life in any real kind of way is when I come to the full realization that no matter how hard I try, I can't stop. The only way I can stop, the only power I have, the only thing I can do is cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, take away the desire for this to happen. Lord, take away my thoughtless speech. Take away my wandering eyes. Take away my heart that strays from you all the time, carelessly, thoughtfully, without intention. And Lord, replace in me a pure heart and give me a heart that wants to live with intention and do the right things because I want to prefer purity over sin. And God, you got to help make that transition in my life where I want to study your word more than I want to study my next TV show. Put that in my heart, Lord, because right now if I'm honest with myself, I'd rather go watch TV than read the Bible. And when I started praying those kinds of prayers, you'd be surprised. But that a year later you realize, wow, it's a Friday evening and I'm here studying the Bible because this is what I want to do. And you realize the Lord has done a work in you that you did not do on your own power, your own strength, or your own, your own works. Didn't do it. 
but God made something new in you. And man, what an amazing feeling to think the God of the universe wants to change your heart. And he can do it when you just ask him to. Claim that offering, be made right, and be reconciled to God and be reconciled to other people. I'm going to go into Leviticus 6, a few verses, because I think it concludes this section. And I don't know why they put the chapter ending where they did. Verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Suppose one of you sins against your associate and is unfaithful to the Lord. Again, you're sinning against a person, but that's an offense against the Lord. Suppose you cheat in a deal involving a security deposit. That's particular. Or you steal, or you commit fraud, or you find lost property and you lie about it, or you lie while while swearing to tell the truth, or you commit any other such sin. That's why in the courtroom we have people swear on the Bible that they're going to tell the truth. That used to mean something, right? People can say we aren't under the law anymore, but everywhere in the New Testament, it assumes that there's a conscience that's been conditioned for centuries by this law. We aren't supposed to lie, and here's where it says that. Don't lie. If you do those things, verse 4, if you sin in any of these ways, you are guilty. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat this. They don't add frankincense to this or pour oil on it. You're guilty. The purpose of this is when we identify our guilt, we can start to sort it out. We can start to look into our innermost parts and pull the fat away from the meat, right? 1 Timothy 1.5, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from sincere faith, from which some having strayed or wandered have turned aside to idle talk, to babble, to, to words that don't have truth and intention behind them. Right? Timothy's referring to this kind of this law. He's making reference to it. So if you've sinned in any of these ways, verse 4, you're guilty, you must give back whatever you stole, or the money you took by extortion, or the security deposit, or the lost property you found, or anything obtained by swearing falsely. You must make restitution by paying the full price plus an additional 20% to the person you've harmed. I think that's just wonderful. Not only do you gotta pay it back, you gotta add something to it. You know, when Matthew kind of became saved in the New Testament, one of the first things he did is he kind of sold everything he had and he threw a big, huge feast for everybody in the town. Because when you're in a tax collector, you've ripped off the whole town because you have to say how much the taxes are and you keep a, a portion of that, right? Very difficult thing when a rich man comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus realizes that rich man had basically gotten his money through usury and through taking advantage of other people. He says, you got to give everything away. And he wasn't able to do it. Jesus said, man, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven, but nothing's impossible with God. Even rich men can go to heaven. But you have to make restitution, verse 5. You have to make it right. People don't want to do that. They want to cling to their money like it has value. They want to cling to their money like it has security. They want to cling to their money like it's their insurance against calamity. And it's not. God is our salvation. He is our strong tower. He's our insurance. And I love the idea here of that extra 20%. Crime doesn't pay. You get caught for these things, not a voluntary offering. This is like going to the courts. You you get caught in this stuff. It's not voluntary. You're going to pay the full amount plus 20%. They did this as a nation. And you can bet that it makes it so people don't really want to steal from other people. They don't want to do extortion. They don't want to do security deposits. 
Um, they don't want to take lost property that isn't theirs. So you start to create an entire nation where honesty in finance is a value that's, that's treated as, as essential to their relationship with God. Well, throughout history, Jewish people attempting to follow these verses suddenly become bankers and become extremely wealthy because why wouldn't I want to do commerce with these folks when I know that for them to cheat me is against their relationship with God? So people would come from all over the world to do trade in Israel because they knew that the, the weights in the temple were fair weights. They weren't getting cheated every time they made a transaction. So they could start to build commerce and banks and wealth so there's a huge benefit to being honest to the Israeli people, and there will be throughout history. And there's a benefit to any nation, any Gentile nation, that treats things honestly, where the value of a coin is the same all over the country. Suddenly your commerce can grow, and Western civilization, which follows these verses, thrives as it becomes honest and truthful, because people can then trust the people they leave their money with, their security deposits, they can, they can trust that they won't have people swear falsely and take their things, right? They have a right to property. Those sorts of things are core ideas that help Israel as a nation. And the way they do it is they make it more damaging to the criminal than it is to the honest person, right? That makes a difference. On the same day, you have to present a guilt offering. Don't wait to make things right. Same day. And that idea of same day to me just keeps resonating through this chapter. When you've done wrong to someone, you don't wait for things to be made right. They won't. It'll just get worse. Hatred grows. Jealousy grows. Envy grows. Forgiveness, right relationships have to be sought out and worked for on a daily basis. I know when Steph and I got married, the idea of not going to bed on our anger was a core idea. And what that usually meant is that one of us or had to realize that we were putting our will over the other person. And usually, most times, to be honest, we would both apologize to each other, and we still do. Um, but if I also think back in retrospect, it was usually me being selfish that caused a lot of the conflicts in our marriage early on. So making those things right, you do it the same day. You don't go to bed when you realize there's guilt when you've done something wrong. Verse 6. As a guilt offering to the Lord, you must bring to the priest your own ram with no defects, or you may buy one of equal value. Through this process, the priest will purify you before the Lord and make you clean, making you right with him, and you will be forgiven for any of these sins you've committed. What a promise. If you make it right, you're forgiven. That puts huge motivation. That 20% now has value. If you make restitution and make it right, just like Matthew, you can be in the kingdom. You can be one of the people of God. So, Leviticus begins with these, the five offerings, the burnt offering, the gift offering or the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. And then in verse 5, they, they say present, present as a guilt offering, which seems to be the combination word of both the sin and the trespass, right? When you do something wrong to other people or when you do something wrong to the Lord God Almighty, right? So Leviticus starts off with these five off offerings. They constitute an image of how we walk with God over the long haul. This is our walk with God. This is how we do it. It starts with atonement, the burnt sacrifice. It starts with this faithful giving of a gift offering, right? Tithing, first fruits. And then we have the abundance, the peace offering, right? This fellowship with other believers, this right relationship we have that's wonderful with our brothers and sisters in the faith, the peace offering. 
and we have this lifetime journey of discovering sin in our life and making it right and making restitution for it and making confession for it. I've done the wrong thing. I'm so sorry. Let me make it right. And when people of God do those things, we get the abundance and the blessing of God. That's the trade-off. You get purity, right? The priest will purify you before the Lord. That before the Lord, he looks at you and he doesn't see sin anymore. He just sees a pure human being that wants to be in a right relationship and a loving fellowship with the Lord God Almighty. That's the trade. That's the deal. That's the deal in Leviticus. It's the deal in the New Testament. It's the deal today. And it's going to be the deal tomorrow. That's how God relates to humans. And again, this isn't as easy to consume as the stories of Genesis and early Exodus, but it's the core to our faith. It's who we are. It's who we can become. And this is the tough stuff. It sounds easy to say, boy, when you find yourself guilty of something, confess it and make it right. It's a lot harder to do that. Because first you got to wrestle with the idea that you're guilty. Some people hear that they've done something wrong and they don't think they've done anything wrong. So you got to work that out in your heart and it's, it, it takes a lifetime. And frankly, the benefits of that is not only right relationships with other people, it's right relationships with God. What a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Dear Lord and God, we just thank you. Thank you that we can be forgiven for our sins. Thank you that you understand that we wander, that we're thoughtless, that we babble, and we can be careless with our words, that you get that, Lord, and you built right into your system an image of how we can be forgiven. If we come to you and confess our sins, then it will be forgiven. Amen. Thank you that we can be forgiven of all of our trespasses. Lord, in the Lord's Prayer, you say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive the trespasses of others. The idea goes right together. Help us, Lord, to not judge or hold bitterness or hatred or harbor unforgiveness in our hearts it's so evil and insidious and horrible help us to love one another to be people of peace to have right relationships with the people we love to be truthful even when people don't want to hear the truth to be direct and honest let our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes lord it is so hard to do these things to walk in your ways but we want to help us to do it Change our hearts, Lord, so that we are more prone to thoughtful speech than we are to careless speech. Mature us. Help us to grow up, to be men and women of God. That we don't do things carelessly. We don't do things thoughtlessly. We do things in love and grace and peace. And we leave judgment to you because you are God. And Lord, we just love our brothers and sisters with everything we have. We love them as ourselves. We even elevate people to be more important than ourselves. And we love you, God, first, that your will and not our will is what should be done on this earth. So, Lord, as hard as some of these verses are, as hard as it is to sort out the good from the bad, to look at our innermost parts, to get the sin out of our life, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to do that work as a journey in Christ to be servants to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.